0: Hi, this is Rifki, producer for Unpacked. As a reminder, we're sharing our newest show, Homeland, 10 Stories, 1 Israel, in the Unpacking Israeli History feed. Or you can subscribe to Homeland, 10 Stories, 1 Israel, in the same app you're listening to this show on. If you missed the first few episodes, go back. They're great. I promise. But don't worry. You don't need them to enjoy the rest of the series. So here's episode three, Motherland. Yalla, let's do this. Welcome to Homeland, 10 Stories, 1 Israel In our last episode, we met Galina, who came to Israel after the dissolution of the Soviet Union. And as our colorful cast of characters waits patiently, well, semi-patiently, for a tow truck, the curious, chatty Emily is busy ferreting out their stories. Today, you'll meet Matan Baronbaum williams a Jew and Israeli by choice. Angelino's hate winter, and Matan was an Angelino par excellence, one who was currently cursing his decision to move to cold, rainy Jerusalem instead of, say, the Negev Desert. His shared cab had been stuck on the side of the road for what felt like an eternity, and the pounding rain gave no sign of letting up. And neither did Emily.
1: Okay, I'm ready for your life story. Give me the juice.
2: The juice? Is that what the kids are calling it these days?
1: I want to know it all. The intrigue, the drama, the romance, the star-crossed love affairs.
2: There actually is one of those in my story. It's actually my parents' story.
1: Ooh, okay. Family trauma. I'm ready.
2: Okay. So it starts in 1982, a tough year for fashion if my parents' photos are telling the truth, but a pretty decent year for David Berenbaum and Tanya Williams. <laughs>
0: David Berenbaum didn't intend to fall head over heels in love with Tanya Williams. It was absurd. No one just locks eyes across the room at a grimy college party and meets their soulmate. He was 21 for Pete's sake. He had no business meeting the girl of his dreams for at least another five years. But there she was, his future smiling at him from across the room. They were inseparable within weeks. Two college students, months away from graduation, certain of nothing except each other. "'You're gross,' his friend Joel would say, watching them together. "'Please stop parading your obscene happiness in front of those of us doomed to die alone.' "Ah, Joel. Someday your prince will come,' David would tease. But there was a catch to all this ridiculous, lavish happiness, and that catch was Howie and Rachel Berenbaum. "'You want to kill me. He wants to kill me,' Rachel Berenbaum said when her son told her about his new girlfriend. "'He wants to give his mother a heart attack.' Howie, call an ambulance. I'm having a heart attack. Ma, you're not having a heart attack. Just breathe for a second. I promise you're going to love her. She's perfect, and she's smart and kind and compassionate and... Stop talking now, David, his mother ordered, holding up a hand. She's not Jewish. She could be the Queen of Sheba for all I care. You're breaking up with her. End of story. David had never considered himself particularly stubborn or particularly brave, but the more his parents protested the steelier his backbone turned out to be. Tanya Williams was his future, his everything. And one day, their shining private circle of two would expand to include their half-Jewish, half-black, 100% beloved kids. "'You think your kids are going to have it easy?' his mother cried the fifth or the seventh or the 10,000th time he came by to beg her to meet Tanya. "'You think you'll do them a favor by bringing them into the world where they're not fully accepted by anyone?' "'That's ridiculous, Ma,' he said. "'Anyone who doesn't accept them is close-minded and bigoted, "'and not someone I want around them anyway.' "'His mother drew back as though he had slapped her. "'You think I'm close-minded and bigoted, David? "'You think it's bigoted to want to have Jewish grandchildren?' "'Ma, that's not what I'm saying,' David protested. "'But his mother was on a roll. "'Bigoted, bigoted! "'My aunts and uncles died in Auschwitz, "'and he tells me it's bigoted that I want Jewish grandchildren. "'Do you hear him, Howie?' Do you hear your son talking to us like this?" It didn't matter how much he pleaded. How much he tried to explain that marrying Tanya had nothing to do with rejecting Judaism or rejecting his parents or spitting on his family's graves. He just loved her. And she loved him. And they were going to build a good life together. "'It's exhausting,' he said to Tanya a few weeks before their wedding. "'I'm exhausted. I don't know why I'm even fighting with them anymore. They're not going to come to the wedding. Their minds are completely made up. Tanya kissed his forehead. They might come around, eventually. David barked out a laugh. No, that's your parents. You know, reasonable, accepting people who are slowly getting used to the idea of having a white Jewish son-in-law? Give them more time, she said. People can surprise you. But they didn't. They didn't surprise him when they didn't show up to the wedding. They didn't surprise him when they chose again and again not to meet Tanya. They didn't surprise him when they screened his calls. They didn't surprise him when he stopped getting invited to Yom Kippur breakfasts and Hanukkah parties and Passover seders. He thought he had lost all capacity for surprise when the baby arrived. Maddox, perfect and dimpled and chubby, long lashes, huge eyes, round cheeks and a gurgling little laugh. David and Tanya spent hours just watching him. The little folds in his chubby wrists and thighs. He was perfect. And David's parents? Wanted nothing to do with him. The pain hit David like a tidal wave. They're never going to accept us, he told Tanya after the third time he had begged them to come to meet the baby. They're never going to want to see him. Tanya kissed his cheek. It's their loss, David, she said, not ours. And who could say no to this face? It's their loss, David agreed, reaching for his little family. I'm done trying to make them see that. This is over. They made their choice. So, David Berenbaum and Tanya Williams packed up their life in New York and didn't unpack it until they had crossed the country, leaving the memories in New York, starting over somewhere new, leaving the pain
1: behind. Whoa. So, your grandparents just, like, froze out your father forever?
2: Yeah. They wanted nothing to do with him, or with my mom, or with me, or with my little sister when she came along.
1: I'm so sorry. That must have been really awful.
2: Awful for him, yeah, but I don't
1: really think about it.
2: My mom's parents loved us so much, and if I asked about my dad's parents, he would just say he didn't have any. I didn't realize they were even alive until I was like... 12 years old
1: oh my god that's terrible Eh, it is what it is do you think they were just like really racist i mean maybe that was an element of it
2: but i i think it was less about the black thing and more about they just couldn't handle the fact that their grandchildren weren't jewish at least in the way that they understood
1: but you are jewish like your dad is jewish that's jewish enough in my book
2: not in theirs
1: That sucks. I'm really- Don't,
2: don't say you're sorry. It's fine. Worse things have happened.
1: So, can I ask you about your kippah?
2: Didn't expect to see a black half-Jew in a kippah?
1: I mean, from the story you're telling me, I'm like really confused as to why you want anything to do with Judaism.
2: (laughs) Then you'll love this. I converted to Orthodox Judaism when I was 23. What? (laughs) Yeah. How? Why? Yeah, it's a good question.
0: Matan was not always named Matan. In late September 2006, his first day at UCLA, his name was still Maddox. Maddox Barenbaum Williams, his new roommate John said as they shook hands. That's an intense name. Maddox is a perfectly normal Welsh name, Maddox responded. John looked him up and down. Lots of Welsh ancestry in your family? Absolutely none, grinned Maddox. What is your ethnicity if you don't mind my asking? John asked. Well, that took about 10 seconds, Maddox thought to himself. Black mom, Jewish dad, possibly some native on the black side, if my grandma is telling the truth. But she has dementia, so, you know, probably not. Oh, you're Jewish? John asked casually. Do you like practice? Anything? Nah, Matan answered. We didn't grow up with religion, like not even Chrismica or whatever. My mom's crunchy, so sometimes we celebrated the winter solstice, which is basically like communing with nature and stuff, being thankful for the cycles of the earth, etc., etc. That actually sounds kind of rad, John said, (laughs) if you say so. Well, my family is basically professionally Jewish, so if you ever want to celebrate any of the, like, holidays with my family, that can definitely be arranged, John said. Oh, wow, really? I mean... I didn't realize you were Jewish, Maddox said. John gestured to himself. Are you kidding? Does this whole vibe not scream Jewish to you? I mean, I figured you were just Persian, like the rest of L.A. Yeah, Persian Jewish, like the rest of L.A., John paused. My mom is going to be so excited when I bring you home for Friday night dinner. This Friday? Maddox asked. Our first Friday of freshman year? Hell no, but soon. Have you ever had gondi? It's going to blow your mind.
1: Wait, hold on. You started getting involved with Judaism because of your roommate? Honestly? Yeah. Okay, first of all, that is so adorable of him. Did you end up going to that Friday night dinner with his family?
2: Oh, yeah. By the end of freshman year, I even went without him sometimes. The Mofaz Asgars were like my second family. Like, if I wasn't going home, I was going to see them. They even got my dad to go to a Passover Seder for the first time in, like, 20 years.
1: When was that?
2: Uh, Passover of my... Sophomore year, so like, 2008?
1: That's incredible. How did he react?
2: <laughs> oh, he cried, and so did my mom, and then Babak and Manije, John's parents, cried also, and then his grandmother started yelling at everyone in Farsi, presumably you know, telling us all to stop crying during a holiday, or possibly telling us to get a move on so we could eat already. It's unclear.
1: That's an unbelievable story.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it, it was kind of cool. It was also the last time my dad was cool with me exploring Judaism. I guess that's the next part of the story.
0: Maddox had expected to be the only black kid in his first Jewish studies class, social, cultural, and religious institutions of Judaism. He was pleasantly surprised to see two other black students, both religion majors. But he was the only black kid taking Hebrew, and ancient Jewish history, and modern Israel, politics, society, culture. By the second quarter of sophomore year, Maddox was in deep. That first Jewish studies class had been kind of a joke, a way to dip his toes into that secret, neglected part of his heritage. But the second class, the third, the fifth? He had no real explanation except that he was fascinated. This thing, Judaism, was ancient. It showed up everywhere. The Merneptah Stele, Assyrian inscriptions, Babylonian tablets, the Dead Sea Scrolls. And it was bloody, full of zealots setting fire to their own grain in rebellion. Captives hauled off to Babylon or Rome in chains, hideous, inventive tortures and endless, fierce rebellions. Expulsions, inquisitions, blood libels, pogroms, and it was also weirdly, compellingly beautiful. Today, thousands of years after this whole thing started, There was a whole country that ordered pizza and paid their electricity bill and watched TV in the language of the Bible. And somehow, all that flowed into the Mofa Zazkar's Friday night's dinners in a way that he didn't really understand. He declared his major during the second quarter of his sophomore year, Jewish studies with a minor in Israel studies. You are so never getting a job, his sister Leandra had teased, unless you want to work at like a Jewish summer camp or something. At least add something practical, his father begged. Economics, business, psychology. I'll see if I can fit it into my schedule, Maddox promised. And then he went right back to taking classes like Introduction to Jewish Folklore. Fascinated by Dibbicks and ibers and Shadim and Golems. By the Seal of Solomon. By giants and four-faced angels and angelic wheels covered with eyes. It was all so much. It was all so weird. And yet, people like John walked around wearing their history so casually, so lightly, like a scarf they could put on and take off at will. John mostly found Maddox's interest amusing. Dude, he said, watching Maddox wrestle with his Hebrew homework. Are you, like, trying to become a rabbi or something? Shut up and help me understand this, Maddox said. These verb conjugations make no sense. Can't help you there, bro, John said. I basically know how to order falafel and that's it. If you took Judeo-Persian, like I suggested, I would have totally been able to help you. Don't pretend you can speak Farsi, Maddox said. Talking about food doesn't count as knowing a language. John shrugged. He was majoring in neuroscience. He had absolutely no reason to struggle with stupid languages and their stupid verb conjugations and their stupid guttural letters that were impossible for an American to pronounce. Ugh, I give up. Maddox said, tossing his pencil across the room. Why are you doing this, man? John asked gently. Like, you know you don't have to do this, right? You're only a sophomore. You have time to change your major. Maddox narrowed his eyes. I don't want to change my major. John raised his hands in a placating gesture. Hey, it's your call, I'm just saying. You can explore Jewish stuff without, like, studying it full time. I know that, Maddox said. So, why are you doing this? Like, just go on birthright like a normal person instead of trying to learn the world's most useless trivia. Maddox sighed. It's not trivia, he said. Knowing about, John looked at the books heaped on Maddox's desk, a treasury of Jewish folklore, Jerusalem, a biography, the dawn, political teachings of the Book of Esther, I don't know. None of that sounds remotely relevant to anyone's actual life. You can say that about almost every single humanities major, dude, but I don't see you picking on English majors. (laughs) I'm not picking on you, John said. I'm literally just trying to figure out why you're torturing yourself with all this stuff. Maddox bit back what he wanted to say, which was, I'm not torturing myself, because he kind of was, at least with studying Hebrew. So he thought about John's question, really thought about it, and realized... He couldn't put his feelings into words. I don't know, he finally said. It's hard to explain. I'm just like, I just really, really care about this stuff. I don't really know why. I just, like, can't stop thinking about it. Because of your dad, maybe? John asked. Are you, like, trying to understand his whole thing with his parents? No, Maddox quickly responded. I'm not thinking about them, I just... You know what, you know what it's like, it's like an alternate history, like for me. I have no idea what that means, John said. Like, if my dad had married someone his parents wanted, then this would have been, like, my life. So, like, when I'm studying this stuff, it's like, hey, Maddox, look what you could have been, you know? Dude, if your dad had married someone else, you wouldn't be here. There would be no Maddox, John reminded him. I know, but... Maddox tried to find the words, thought about it, and gave up. I don't know, I I can't explain it, I just feel like i meant to learn this stuff, you know? No, John said. This stuff is so boring. That's because you're an unintellectual rube, Maddox said, getting up to retrieve his pencil, and I am a true academic. John scoffed. Okay, your highness, go back to chasing knowledge for its own sake. Have fun practicing your conjugations. Maddox laughed and went back to forcing himself to understand this stupid ancient language.
1: Wow. I'm not sure I have that kind of dedication to anything, honestly. Don't underestimate yourself.
2: You're super dedicated to talking to strangers. This is very true.
1: Yeah, but like, you were really in it, it sounds like. Like, trying to really get Judaism. That's admirable. But I have the same question as John. What drew you to that?
2: I was meant to be Jewish. That's it. There's no other explanation. I just felt called in some way. I didn't recognize it at first, but that's the only way to describe it.
1: So it was, like, kind of not rational. Mystical.
2: This is faith. Exactly. I don't know. I... I don't think faith isn't rational. It's... I just think it's hard to explain. Yes. I have never felt anything like this. I don't think everybody does. John never seemed to, for example.
3: I have learned it cannot be forced. Even in a home that is religious... (sighs) I have three children. Only one is religious. The other two are... You can't force it. I... I know... I tried. I'm sorry. I have sympathy for your grandparents in this story.
2: A lot of people in my life do.
3: Mostly in religious circles.
1: Wait, I don't. Can you explain what you mean?
3: (sighs) Here's the best way I can explain it to you. Imagine that you spend 25 years giving your child everything. You teach him to be Jewish. You teach him about his family. You give him the thing that is most important to you in the world. And then he does not thank you. He does not appreciate you. Instead, he spits in your face and says, I don't want it. How would you feel about that? I
2: mean, I get that, but I also don't get how a parent can just throw away a kid. My parents would never do that to me.
1: Mine either. And I would never do something like this to my children. Their happiness is the most important thing.
3: No? You wouldn't care at all. Your baby comes home and says, Ima, Abba, I'm going to marry Mahmoud. You don't care?
1: Maybe it would not be easy, but I want them to be happy. If Mahmoud makes them happy, okay? We'll do our best.
3: Your husband agrees with this?
1: I don't know. We have never talked about it. They're young. I'm more afraid they will become religious.
2: Yeah, okay, I kind of get it. It's hard for parents to see their kids doing something unexpected. Something they didn't anticipate and, and wouldn't have chosen.
1: Like, for example, converting to Judaism and moving to Israel? (laughs) Exactly. So your parents weren't cool with this whole thing?
2: My mom is always cool. My dad needed some time to come around.
0: What do you mean, study abroad in Israel? David Berenbaum asked his son. I just think it would be really cool, Maddox said. But why there? David asked. Why not somewhere less dangerous? Maddox rolled his eyes. Um, I'm a Jewish studies major? Where else am I supposed to study? David began ticking countries off his fingers. Spain, the Czech Republic, Poland, Germany, Austria, all countries with Jewish history. Your great-grandparents were Polish, you know. Dad, what? I'm not going to Poland. Israel is dangerous, David repeated. I don't want you going to a country where buses blow up regularly. Dad, a bus hasn't blown up in Israel since 2004, Maddox protested. It's perfectly safe. "'Oh, excellent argument, Maddox,' David said sarcastically. "'Really very reassuring.' "'Come on, Dad,' Maddox said. "'This is really important to me.' "'Why?' asked his father. "'Why is this so important?' "'I told you,' Maddox said, waiting under his father's hard gaze. "'I'm a Jewish studies major.' "'I know that, Maddox, but I don't see why you can't be a Jewish studies major in L.A. "'or Argentina or Australia.' "'Dad, come on, you're a lawyer.' You know this is a pathetically weak argument. David sighed. Tanya, who had been silent until now, put a reassuring hand on his arm. Maybe we can talk about this when we've cooled down a little bit, she said. And to Maddox, behind his father's back, she mouthed, I'll talk to him. Maddox never knew what she said to his father, but it worked. And at the start of his junior year in September 2008, he was on a plane to Tel Aviv.
1: I don't get it. Why was he so anti-study abroad? Other than the security thing, which I totally get.
2: The security thing was a pretext. I think he could see the writing on the wall.
1: What do you mean?
2: I think in his own way he was trying to save me. Save you? From what? From becoming dogmatic. Extremist. From being the sort of person who would cut off their own kid for leaving the tribe.
1: But he came with you to your friend's satyrs.
2: Yeah, he did. And he appreciated it. But my dad thinks about Judaism as a sometimes thing. Like you have a Passover Seder, or Rosh Hashanah, or whatever. And the rest of the time, you kind of just go on with your life. He could see that it was taking up more and more of my everyday life, and I, I think that really scared him. It's exactly what we were talking about before. I was doing something he didn't expect or plan for, and it freaked him out a little.
1: But he came around in the end. He let you come here.
2: Yeah, basically. I mean... It wasn't easy. There was definitely a process of grief, a lot of tough conversations, but I mean, ultimately, he just wanted me to be happy, even if he didn't get it.
1: He sounds like a good dad. He is. So what was your study abroad like?
2: Hmm. It was the turning point, I think, for me.
0: The Hebrew University dorms were not luxurious. Storms never are, are they? But these were particularly... Spartan. But Maddox loved them. They were filled with students from every country. Argentinians, Kiwis, Americans, Mexicans, Frenchies, South Africans. Everywhere he turned, someone was speaking English in some kind of delightful accent. But Maddox hadn't come to Israel to speak English. When he wasn't in class or fighting with his Hebrew grammar homework... He spent every free second exploring Jerusalem's winding, tangled streets. The quiet, shade-dappled neighborhoods of Katamon and Baca. the cafe-lined boulevards of the German Colony, the bustling, frenetic Ben Yehuda Market with its colorful heaps of spices and fruits and gummy candies. He met his first religious Jewish hippies in the stony courtyards of Nachlaot, and of course he walked the cramped, ancient pathways of the Old City rubbing elbows with black-headed Hussids and Armenian priests. It was hard not to compare Jerusalem to L.A. Everything in L.A. was new, shiny, except where it was grimy and gross. Maddox had grown up with all the newness, the wide streets. Even the most modest bungalows took up more space than the cramped old city homes carved out of Jerusalem stones. It was overwhelming. Maddox hadn't heard of Jerusalem Syndrome before he came to Israel, but the description his Hebrew professor gave him seemed apt, a kind of religious psychosis triggered by visiting Jerusalem. Maddox didn't think he was experiencing psychosis, but it was hard to deny that religion was taking up more and more space in his mind. "'I went to a synagogue service today,' he told his sister Leandra over Skype. "'Was it boring?' she asked. "'Surprisingly, it wasn't. "'It was mostly Americans, though. "'So it was in English?' "'Hebrew,' he said." "'Did you get what was going on?' she asked. "'Yeah, actually. Mostly, I mean. Definitely I didn't understand every word, but the sitter had an English translation. "'That's the prayer book?' she asked. "'Yep. It even tells you, like, when to say what blessings or when to bow and stuff.' "'That's useful,' she said. "'You think you'll go back?' "'I do,' he said. "'I think I want to explore other synagogues around the city, but this one's okay for now.' "'Well,' You went to the right place for that, she said, and changed the subject to her upcoming track meet. It was during a walk around the old city that he discovered a complex with four different Sephardic synagogues. By this point, he could immediately spot the difference between an Ashkenazi service and a Sephardic one. The words of the prayers were mostly the same, but the melodies were different. He found that he preferred the winding curves and trills of the Sephardic tunes, even though he was too tone deaf to be able to mimic them. He couldn't make the hour-long walk every Shabbat morning from the Hebrew campus to the Sephardic synagogues, but he would show up when he could, nod to the men wrapped in their shawls, their talitot, open the siddur, the prayer book, which had absolutely no English and no transliteration, and surprise himself with his increasing ability to follow along. "'You realize that you don't count as a Jew for them, right?' his father asked when Maddox described his new synagogue to him. Maddox sighed. "'Dad.' Why do you have to be so negative? Why can't you just let me enjoy this? Because I don't want you to be disappointed, his father said. When these guys find out that you aren't Jewish according to their definition, they're going to reject you. And I don't want you to be upset when that happens, because believe me, I know what it feels like to be rejected. That's you, Dad, Maddox said. That's your baggage. Don't put that on me. His father sighed. Just be careful, Maddox. Maddox bit back the urge to say, Whatever, Dad. And instead said, I am.
1: Ouch. Yeah. Seems like your mom and your sister were more supportive.
2: Yeah. I was lucky. Ironic that only my dad wasn't into it.
1: Yeah. That must have been hard for you.
2: It was. But honestly, it was harder to feel like I wasn't considered Jewish in the spaces where I wanted to be. You know what I mean?
1: No, not really. I mean... You were Jewish. Like, so many people would consider you Jewish. Yeah,
2: <laughs> you keep saying that, but that wasn't true in the traditional spaces. There are no havesies there. You either are something, or you
1: aren't. I mean, I think that's a narrow and dogmatic way to look at it, but... You're
2: right, I'm I'm just telling you my experience.
1: You're right, I'm sorry. I'm making your story about me. Pretend I didn't say anything.
2: No, it's it's okay.
1: So... When did you decide to, like, make it official? To, like, convert?
2: I don't know if it was any one thing or any one moment. Like, I started going to Shirim. uh You know what those are. No clue. They're, like, uh, Torah lessons. I basically just made a few Orthodox friends in the dorms and did whatever they did. Well, whatever the actual religious ones did. There were definitely a few people who came to let loose.
1: No letting loose for you?
2: I mean... I was 21. I wasn't a saint, but I was definitely trying to live differently than I had before. I loved the holidays. Like, doing Passover in Israel? It was incredible. Even better than doing it with John's family.
1: Did you have a Seder, like, in the dorms?
2: No. My friend Ari had some family here, and we went to them. It was... I mean, with John's family, we were literally saying, next year in Jerusalem. And there I was, in Jerusalem, celebrating freedom. Liberation, in a state that symbolizes liberation. It was incredible. I still get emotional whenever I think about it.
1: What do you mean, this state symbolizes liberation?
2: Well, didn't you hear Alone and Galena's stories? They came here to be fully themselves. Fully Jewish.
1: You think a person can't be fully Jewish outside of Israel?
2: No, that's, that's not what I'm saying. It's just different to be Jewish in a place where people get you. Like, the soccer teams are named after Jewish warriors. Like... Maccabi Tel Aviv, the national holidays are our holidays, not Christmas or New Year's or whatever. Though I will admit that I really miss Thanksgiving. And there's just a Jewish presence everywhere. It's in the land, it's under the land. Like, they're still finding ancient Jewish artifacts all over Israel. It's. it's insane. I just. I just want to be in a place with this kind of history.
1: Can I ask you a personal and not PC question? Isn't that what
2: you've been doing this whole time?
1: Yeah, but this one is kind of sensitive.
2: Okay, I'm ready.
1: Do you think that there's a part of you that prefers to be here as opposed to being in America because the history of being black in America is so fraught? You know what I mean?
2: I think so. It's fraught here too, though. It's fraught everywhere. In different ways.
1: Yeah, but like, black people were never enslaved here.
2: Well, they might have been. This part of the world has definitely seen its fair share of slaves, but I know what you mean. It's a good question, and I don't have a great answer. I'm here because I'm meant to be. There's nowhere else for me to be. It's as simple as that. I'm sure that my family history plays some kind of role that I'm not consciously aware of, but it's irrelevant.
1: I get it, sort of. I mean, I've never felt that before, but I get it intellectually. So what happened next? When did you decide to make it official with the Lord?
2: (laughs) Are you asking when I decided to convert officially?
1: Yes, and I realize it came out extremely weird.
2: (laughs) So, I decided during my year in Israel. I wanted to finish my last year at UCLA, so I knew I'd have to find a local rabbi in LA, which I did online, actually.
1: Did you start studying with him online?
2: A little bit, actually, but the bulk of it we did in person.
1: When did you tell your parents?
2: I told them while I was still in Israel. I wanted to be uh, able to close my computer if it got too stressful. I was very mature, obviously.
1: I mean, you were doing something scary.
2: Yeah, it went as well as you might expect.
0: You cannot be serious, David Berenbaum raged over Skype. Get in touch with your roots, fine. Go to temple, okay. Visit Israel once a year, sure. Have Shabbat dinners with your Persian friend, great. "'But you want to be orthodox? Are you kidding?' "'I'm not kidding at all,' Maddox said. "'Do you know what these people are like?' his father yelled. "'Uh, I'm friends with a lot of these people, so yeah, I think so,' Maddox said. "'Do you know how they treat women?' his father shouted. "'You want to go to pray in a space where your mother and your sister aren't welcome as full Jews?' "'That's not how orthodoxy sees women,' Maddox started to argue. "'But his dad was too busy firing off apparently rhetorical questions.' "'You know how they act towards black people?' David ranted. "'Yes, Dad, considering they've all been incredibly nice to me,' Maddox tried to say. "'I cannot believe this is happening,' his father said to his mother. "'I cannot believe he's choosing to do this.' "'Hey, Maddox,' his mother said gently, "'Dad and I are going to take some time to talk. Is that okay?' "'Sure,' he said. "'I love you,' she said. "'Nothing will change that. "'Whatever you need from me, I'm here.' And the same goes for Dad. He loves you so much. Just give him a little bit of time, okay? Okay. His mother ended the call. And Maddox lay on his narrow dorm bed, staring at the ceiling, until the room got
2: dark.
1: (sighs) This is very sad. Yeah, seriously. It has a happy ending. He came around. How?
2: Time, my mom, talking to the Mofas Oscars... I think he also talked to a therapist, which was totally my mom's idea. Not something he would have done on his own. But he did come around. He even met my rabbi. This is a funny story, actually. He was totally trying to bait him the whole time into saying something racist or sexist or whatever. And obviously, Rabbi Klein is, like, the nicest person in the world who I don't think has ever said a mean word about anyone. So my dad was, like, actually pissed off about how much he liked him. It was... Genuinely hilarious.
1: It sounds like you lucked out with your rabbi.
3: Hashkacha pratis.
1: That doesn't sound like a real thing.
3: I think he's trying to say hashkacha pratit.
1: Still no clue what that means. It's like
2: the concept that someone's watching out for you. It literally means private supervision.
1: So like a guardian angel.
2: Or, you know,
1: God. Right. Um, okay, can I ask another sensitive question? Go for it. Did you ever reach out to your grandparents? Like, your dad's parents?
2: No. I had no reason to. They made their choice. This had nothing to do with them.
1: Yeah, I get that.
2: So, that's it. That's the story.
1: I mean, you didn't explain how you got here, though. Like, you studied abroad, you graduated from UCLA, you converted with Rabbi Klein, and then...
2: Yeah, so so I graduated in 2010. I finished the conversion in 2011. And in the meantime, I was working as a technical manual writer, which is just as fun and glamorous as it sounds. I kicked around the idea of applying to law school, because, you know, that's what you do when you graduate with a completely useless major.
1: And when you have Jewish parents.
2: Right? But obviously I didn't do that. It just felt so beside the point. I thought that I'd have a sense of purpose in all of that after the conversion, and I did. Like, I had a community, and that was awesome, but in terms of, like... Where do I want my life to go? What do I want to be when I grow up? All of that stuff. I I just felt totally lost.
1: Yeah, I'm fully expecting to feel that soon, too.
2: I mean, I solved it by moving to Israel, so, you know, that's always an option. Did it work? I was drafted into the army almost immediately after I made Aliyah, so... I mean, it worked in that I was too busy and exhausted to think about my existential crises. Also... At that point, my Hebrew was still terrible, which I think made the whole process harder.
1: I can't even imagine.
3: This is something that is hard for outsiders to understand, I think. How important the army is for us. How it makes us into Israelis.
2: Yeah, that was totally my experience. Like, before I was here as a tourist, and now I was here to be a part of society. To really integrate.
1: Were people weird about you being black? Well...
2: People on the street generally assume I'm Ethiopian, and they don't bat an eye. But then when they hear an American accent, they sometimes get weird. Like, someone asked me totally innocently, Do you know how to rap?
1: What'd you say?
2: I mean, I said no, which is the truth. I'm completely tone deaf, but that wasn't even the worst thing I've heard. A guy in my unit tried to introduce himself to me by calling me his... Uh, N-word. What?! I mean, he heard it in rap songs. He thought it was, like, totally fine. Like, oh, black people say it to each other, so this is fine for me to say,
1: too. I'm honestly at a loss for words.
2: He wasn't trying to be offensive. He was truly just ignorant. Did you explain? I mean, as best I could. I kind of said, hey, I know you didn't mean it, but that's not a great word to use. It's considered really offensive in America, so just so you know, if you ever go there... Don't use it. And also, I'm uncomfortable with it, so don't use it on me, either. Did he get it? I don't know. He didn't use it again, at least. I think intention matters, you know? He really was coming from an innocent place, and I'm not going to get offended or fault him for that. All he'd ever seen was a stereotype,
1: and that's
2: the stereotype he used.
1: You're a much better person than I am.
2: (laughs) Nah, just a little older. If you want to change things, I don't think getting angry is a good way to start. Empathy, man. It's all about empathy.
0: The man sitting in front of Matan turns around, his long sideburn swinging. That's right. That's
4: exactly right. I've been listening to your story this whole time. It's amazing. You're amazing, brother.
0: He reaches out his hand, and Matan shakes it.
1: Thanks.
2: I appreciate that.
1: Hi! I'm Emily, which you probably know.
4: Hi, Emily. I'm Nahi. I didn't mean to interrupt. I just wanted to tell Matan here that he's so right. Empathy is the only way forward. The only way we're going to solve anything.
1: You mean like the Arab-Israeli conflicts?
4: All conflicts, really. But also the current political situation, yeah. Putting yourself in the other's shoes, seeing things from their perspective. It's the only way. I don't think I agree with this approach. Oh, I'd be happy to talk more about this, but I want to let Matan finish his story first.
2: I mean, that's it. That's the story, you know? I spent 18 years not knowing who I really was, which I know is very common. I... I just feel grateful that I figured it out pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, not everyone is that lucky.
2: Trust me, I know.
1: Do you think you'll ever move back to the US? Nah,
2: no way. I mean, we go back and visit obviously, but we're here because we genuinely believe there's nowhere else for us.
1: But why? Why here?
2: Because this is the place that Hashem, God, promised Abraham, Abraham. I'm living out a promise. This was all predicted. This nation, this state, all of it was promised. There's nowhere else for me to be.
3: Yes, this is right.
4: Amen, brother. This is exactly it.
1: Yeah, okay. I don't feel that myself, but I respect what you're telling me. Yeah, I also think this is completely crazy, but I won't argue. This is also how my in-laws feel.
4: No need to argue. We're all brothers and sisters here. We've all got our own paths to
2: follow. Yeah, that's true. But sometimes those paths converge.
1: Like now. That's true. All your stories are so different. Yours, Matan's, Galina's, Elaine's. They're all completely, I don't know, unique.
2: That's true of everyone. In every country. Yeah, but it's only in this country
4: that all the Jews are coming home.
1: That's true. You know, speaking of...
4: I have a feeling I know it's coming.
1: You're Australian?
4: Guilty as charged.
1: How'd you end up here? Not just in this taxi, obviously, but in Israel, generally.
4: Oh, it's a very traditional story. I followed a girl.
1: Ooh, this I've gotta hear.
4: Okay, let me think. How do I start?
0: Thank you for listening to Episode 3 of Homeland, 10 Stories, 1 Israel. Homeland is a production of Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. Check out jewishunpacked.com for everything Unpacked-related, and subscribe to our other podcasts. Follow Unpacked at all the social media places like TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Just look for at Jewish Unpacked, And write to us at podcasts at jewishunpacked.com. This episode was written by Adi Elbaz and produced by Rifki Stern. Our team for this episode includes Adi Elbaz as Emily, Gideon Kimmel as Matan, Rebecca Davis as Galina, HSC as Elun, and Eric Ransom as Nahi. Audio Magic is by Rob Perra. I'm your narrator, Ellie Schiff. Special thanks to research help provided by Yaakov Williams. This show was made possible by support from the Coombe Family Foundation, the Crane Mailing Foundation, the Adam and Gila Milstein Family Foundation, and the Skolnick Family Charitable Trust. Stay tuned for episode 4. We'll hear Nachi's story whose life circumstances might just surprise you.